When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for the VolQuest Mailbag Podcast, answering your questions from the General's Quarters every week, right here on VolQuest. Good Thursday morning, everybody. Welcome to the VolQuest Mailbag Podcast. I'm Eric Kane, alongside Austin Price, Rob Lewis, and Brent Hubbs. As always, a big thank you. A good shout out to Exterior Home Solutions for a free estimate. Give them a call today. It's 865 if you need roofing, siding, windows, or a garage, contact Exterior Home Solutions today. They've been local and trusted since 1999. Tennessee and Kentucky, that's coming up here in just a matter of days, 7 o'clock Eastern Time. It's going to be on ESPN. We've got plenty of preview coverage all week long and more to come at VolQuest.com. But today on this podcast, we answer your questions. And as always, we thank you for submitting those. We'll start with Heupel's Hype Man 89. Not saying that Kroger Field is a tough environment to play in because it has been lately. Do you think the crowd noise will be an effect on Tennessee the same as it was in the Swamp? I personally feel like it affected. It did not affect us very much in Alabama. Uh, crowd noise, Rob Lewis, you've been to many games up there at Kroger Field. What are you expecting Saturday? Not not like the Swamp, no. Not, or, or, or not, or not, not, not like Bryant-Denny Stadium. But it, it, it'll be loud if Kentucky has something to cheer about, but they'll also be what AP eight ten thousand Tennessee fans in, in the crowd you know maybe more so I mean it'll, it, it'll be a road game but it, it's not going to be like Gainesville or Athens or you know even Columbia for that matter yeah it's more of an annoyance and a nuisance kind of like their PA guy who always does it. it's another first down Kentucky I hate that guy another one here do you think this could be the week that you see D Williams appear on offense Austin yeah, I still think we're in November before we see. I think we see him against UConn. You know, again, could you see him in a play, a specialty play? I maybe could see that this weekend. But as far as like any kind of extended, expanded role, more than that, no. give him a jet sweep, AP. Just a just a jet sweep. Let's go to Jason Smith. Got a couple of questions here. Do you think the no calls on pass interference is the reason? Tennessee's big splash plays haven't worked this year, Brent Hubbs. No, because they haven't been 10 yards behind the defensive backs wide open like they were a year ago. Um, have, there, have there been some pass interference penalties that should have been called? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the case. But we also haven't seen, I mean, other than what, squirrel wide against Florida on a switch route was open. They got Brew McCoy open wide open in the in the Florida game in the second half, if I'm not mistaken. They just haven't had a lot of those Keaton Virginia wide open guys, right? No, not like you saw Jalen Hyatt once a game last year. Or Javante Payton his first year. They just yeah. haven't had they just haven't had those. So, you know, are guys getting jammed at the line of scrimmage? I mean, I don't think so because the switch route's just a rub route basically to free a guy up. So um I, I don't 
I can't say that, you know, the grabbing and tugging and holding is preventing guys from being wide open. Is it having an effect at times? I'm sure it is, but I don't think that's the sole reason that Tennessee's offense lacks explosive plays down the field. Another one here from Jason Smith. Do you think it's easier to put games that are losses in the past when you're still fighting for something? I uh, know the SEC championship game, a lot has to happen. Essentially, Brock Bowers of Georgia, that hurts the percentage to win that game. Does a, does a loss to Georgia like that kind of motivates a team like Tennessee to put the Alabama loss in the past and focus on Kentucky and Missouri, Austin? I do. I, I think that, you know, Tennessee, while it's still it's a long shot to get to Atlanta, um, you know, if you want out – at bare minimum, I think you'd have a really good shot for a New Year six at ten and two. So there still is plenty to play for, and I think it's easier to turn that page. And you know, again, I think that you know kids are fairly competitive and they like winning. I mean, who wants to, you know, live in last week when you can go and win this week? And so I think that this group is, you know, really competitive and and they're ready to get back up and uh, get a win Saturday. Yeah, I, I think it's more about your competitive nature and, and about showing yourself well. I, I don't know that anybody's sitting there going, well, wait a minute now. We can still win out and maybe get to a New Year's Six as opposed to going to Tampa for a bowl game. I, I don't think anybody's diving deep into that world as a young player. I think it's a pride thing, right? I mean, you're on national TV again. Everybody's watching you. You're playing for your future for a lot of cases. Veteran guys are playing for the opportunity at the next level. Um, I, I think it's a pride thing if you've got enough pride, you know, and if you don't, if you've got a team that doesn't have dissension and all those types of things, I don't think Tennessee's got any of that going on. So I, I think you get back up the, off the deck because that's just what you do as a competitor. I mean, these guys have, they've all lost, Rob, they've all lost games in their life. This is not like the first time they've lost a game. I mean, nobody's undefeated in every, in everything that they've done. So, I, I mean, I think it's just human nature that, you know, you, you, you don't want to just mail it in and quit after you lose one game. You, you ratchet back up and go play, or two games, you ratchet back up and go play again. Yeah, I, I think people that feel like, you know, the SEC championship's out the window or something, then, then kids are going to mail it in, they're, they're missing the boat. I mean, I, I, I mean, if that's the case, you don't have much of a program. And I, I don't I mean, I, and I don't think that these guys think this way. I mean, I don't, I don't think kids at most programs think that way. I mean, if you're – if you played football and got to this level, I mean, you're, like like you say, Hubbard, you're a, you're a competitor. I mean, it's not just about playing in Atlanta. It's about you know, playing every Saturday and, and competing. We're going to do a little vol, Rob. We'll stay with you on this one. Do you believe this is Stoops' last season at Kentucky? The NIL comments, the friction with the basketball team, the removal of divisions and conference is going to make the schedule considerably harder in the year every every single year in the SEC. Seems like if he ever wants a better gig, his um, you know right now is the time to go and do that. What's what better gig is he going to get? I, just, I, I don't see it. I mean, he's he's making a ton of money. He can he's, he can keep making it by winning six or seven games a year. He's not going. He's not going anywhere. Yeah, I mean the game the gig he's always wanted is Iowa. Her parents continues to hold on at Iowa. Um, you know, and I just and Stoops is the one. I don't think he loves coaching enough where he's going to hang on himself. You know, he's made really good money. I think he has a lot of interest outside of the game. And so, like, I could see him next two, three years just being done overall. Like, you know, he's made really good money at Kentucky. He's had a good run. He's taken that program and, and made it, you know, competitive in a lot of ways. And so, um, uh, you know, I, 
Yeah, I'm with Rob. I mean, where's he going to go? Um, you know, I, I don't think he can get the Michigan State job. I mean, you know, if, if a few people decide not to go on it and he, he you know, would get a look maybe. But, I mean, I, I just think Kentucky makes a lot of sense to continue to stick it out there um, because he, for all the reasons Rob just outlined. I mean, I, I mean, I think you can win more at Kentucky than you can Michigan State right now with where that with where things are. And I think I think Kentucky's a better job than, than Michigan State is, um, given kind of where they've been. Uh, yeah, this job's going to get harder at Kentucky because he's not going to have the schedule that he's had. But I mean, do, do we do we really think Michigan State's just a big time better job than than Kentucky is with where Kentucky's put things? I mean, maybe maybe it is. Maybe I'm missing the boat. I mean, on- Michigan State's went to the playoff. You know, I mean that. You know. I think getting to the playoff makes it just a better job overall. But the problem is, is they're in a really tough league. Penn State, Ohio State, and Michigan are all light years, hover ahead of Michigan State, which, you know, helps your argument. I'm just saying, like, from a historical standpoint, Michigan State's done a little bit more overall than Kentucky has. Fair. You would be going from one basketball school to another, though. Yeah, that's <laughs> if, right. If that were the case, you know. Uh, CN31, how many spring and fall scrimmages did Milton get with the wide receivers? It seems like they were out uh, nearly all the scrimmages. Could that be part of the issues in the passing game with the officials no longer calling pass interference for a ball wide receiver? Uh, Brent, I can't remember spring, but in the fall, you know, the likes of Keaton, Thornton, Squirrel, and um, and, and Brew, they, they didn't play in a lot of those scrimmages out, out there in Neyland Stadium. Well, they missed one. All of them missed one scrimmage for sure. Uh, yeah. A couple of them came back for that second scrimmage. Uh, Thornton missed most of uh, the spring. Uh, Bruma missed all of the spring. Uh, but they had summer to throw and, and and to work and all those types of things. I don't. It's not. It's not like it's not like they picked up four guys off the waiver wire at the start of, at the start of the season and said, "Hey, you know, go play." Um, you know, what I mean, they're they're eleven on eleven on the practice field, even in non scrimmage days. You know, I, I don't. I think the lack of physicality in this in this wide receiver group outside of Brew is an issue. You know, I mean, you you you, you can't get bumped around all the time, and I, I think that's something that has to grow and and develop with this group of receivers because I think they got bumped around pretty good in the second half against Alabama, and and this is not just a Tennessee thing. This is a college football thing. They're they're letting you beat guys up down the field as a defensive back. I mean they're they're letting they're letting contact go. They're letting you do all kinds of stuff to guys, and they're not throwing pass interference penalties. I don't know why. I don't know what the. I mean, there's not an official change of rule, but you can't look at if you watch six college football games on a Saturday, you can't tell me they're not calling pass interference different this year than they've called it previous years across the board in college football. Wouldn't be prudent wants to know what is your assessment of Joey Halsley as OC and how much was lost when Alex Golish left Austin? You know, I mean, I, I think Joey is doing, uh, you know, what, you know, any first year coordinator would be doing. Like, I mean, you're going to get second guessed a lot, you know, I mean, again, how much is Hypel uh, calling the play versus Joey? And I don't think anybody knows. I mean, I think at you know, points in time, Alex Golish called the offense, but you know, everything still runs through Josh Hypel. So, I mean, it's not like I think that, you know, Joey's up there doing a bunch of stuff that, that Josh disagrees with because Josh is going to – I mean, Josh is a heavy on the offense. He's going to go, I need this. I want this. Give me that, you know. Um, so, I mean, it, is it a different – I think the biggest thing is the different feel. Like, Joey is probably not as uh, 
blunt and forceful as Golish was. Um, Golish was a uh, um, a big personality, um, you know, and, and Joey, I think, is getting there. But again, first year doing it versus several years doing it and just a little more experience. So um, for me, um, you know, I think there's a difference. But, you know, is it some dramatic drop off? I can't say that it is one way or the other. And as far as the game planning brand, I mean, that, that, that's a, uh, that's a Halsley. That's an Ellerby, you know, that that's a Hypel, the same as it was with Golish and, and Halsley had a hand in it last year. I mean, when you're putting together a game plan for the upcoming week, I mean, it's, it's that entire offensive staff with a heavy emphasis on Ellerby and, and obviously Josh Hypel as well. Well, there's no doubt. And, and you know, I, I think Alex Golish was um, just like he, I mean, he's a first year coach learning how to be a head coach, right? I mean, he's going through, his challenges of moving up to that chair. Anytime you move up a chair, I don't care if it's in basketball, football, whatever, it's a different, it's different. And um, I think the one thing about Alex Golish was Alex Golish was pretty strong in his opinions and pretty stern. I, I won't say he went looking for a fight or loved to fight, but he did not have any issue with conflict or disagreement. If he had an opinion, he was going to state his opinion, and he would stay pretty stern to his opinion. He may not, he may, they may not end up doing what he wants to do, but you knew exactly where he stood on whatever the case may be. I think that's the, I think that's the thing that that I learned from Alex Golish in visiting with him is he was, you had a you had a real hard time changing his mind on something. I mean, if he believed in something, he believed in that, and that's where Austin's talking about the big personality. Um, you know, and so I think that's, I think Joey's getting there with some of those things and, you know, we'll see, I mean, it's, it's a growth and, and development process. When, when you, when you promote a bunch of first year coaches, I'm not saying they're bad coaches, Austin. I don't, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with, with any of these guys on, on the offensive staff, but learning I, curve. I think, yeah, I think we're all kidding ourselves if we don't think that there is a learning curve for some guys that does that mean, Alec Ablin's a bad coach. No, but is this year learning? Is there a learning curve for him this year? How's there not? Anytime you do something for the first time, it's different, right? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, and the biggest thing too is, is what would the offense look like if Joey Halsey was the OC and you had Cedric Tillman and Jalen Hyatt and Darnell Wright and Jerome Carvin and and, and, Hooker. and I mean, you know what I mean? Like, they lost a lot. The problem is it's it's all the change at once. It's not like you know, you know, it's not like Joey, you know, stepped in and had all these returning veterans. Yeah, he had Brew and Ramel had a nice year last year, but Ramel having a much tougher time playing Batman than he did as you know uh, Alfred because I wouldn't even call him Robin last year. He's more Alfred, um, you know. So I mean, like I, I think that ultimately, Eric, did you get that? Did you get that reference, Eric? Yes, I've seen I've seen Batman. Yes. Good. Okay. Um, what about? Uh, <laughs> Like Kent Herbeck, you know who that is. <laughs> <laughs> so here's, but here's the point to your what you're making, yeah. Austin and, and Rob. You can jump in here too. I mean, for example, when David Cutcliffe left in '98 to take the Ole Miss job, Philip Fulmer promoted Randy Sanders into that role. And in Randy Sanders' first year in that role, Randy Sanders still had Jamal Lewis, Travis Henry, okay, and Travis Stevens. I guess who redshirted that year. And, and he had Ontario Smith. He had T Martin. He had Cedric Wilson. Like that, they had 
there, there, it wasn't you didn't lose seven starters and bring in new guys, a new guy too, or or promote a guy too. So that, that to Austin's point, I think that's a great point. You have to factor in Rob what all they lost off of this team, and and, and that has to go into the, the the question about how much do they miss a previous coach versus not missing a previous coach. Well, I mean, I, to me, maybe oversimplified, but I. And to me, just look at the difference in Hooker and, and Milton. I'm not being critical of Joe. I'm just saying that's a that's a vast difference in, in the in, in the quarterback play. I mean, not not I mean in, in how you play and how you know how much easier did, did him to make it for Alex Golsh or whoever to call plays with, with what he could do when things didn't go right. So, I mean, that, that's been my stance from, from the start. I mean, I, I'm not saying that there's not a difference in Golish and, and Halsey, but. You can see with your naked eyes the difference between Joe Milton and Hidden Hooker. Yeah. Right. Rob, we'll stay with you. Wrong hand and wants to know will the basketball team rank better or worse than 15th nationally in offense per Ken Palm for the upcoming season? Yes. I got him 13th. <laughs> Who's your 14th team? Um, Oral Roberts. Okay. Well, the, the question is essentially if not, can that team be a championship team? Because you've seen championship teams be top 15 in both offense and defense confidence in the defense is usually there. But you know, if this team is, you know, Ken Palm 20th, 25th, whatever, not as good offensively, which it usually isn't under Rick Barnes. Can it still be a championship? Team? I mean, they're, they're going to be better offensively. I think just because they added shooting, but if people, you know, Rick Barnes is going into what is this year? Nine year 10. I mean, he's not turning into the, to Jerry Tarkanian this season i mean it's they're gonna play really tough hard-nosed defense and you know some nights offense is not gonna be pretty to watch they're gonna no, win a lot of, and they're gonna win a lot of games i've got i've got roberts at 12 it's uh, and, and i've got george mason at 14 right. I, mean, here's, I mean here's here's the thing too i mean it's about being hot at the right time two years ago they go to tampa and win the sec basketball tournament what would their ken palm rating have been that week offensively and then a week later, they can't make a shot against Michigan, right, Rob? And they go home. I mean, it, it's it's about playing your best basketball and, and being being hot, if you will, at the right time of the year. That's the whole key to basketball. You can be you can be the best team in the country in December, and it's irrelevant. And I can argue Tennessee's been a top two or three team in the country in December multiple times in the Rick Barnes. They just haven't been there, you know, in, in tournament time in in March when. You know, when the, the game's different, I guess. And you just got to be you gotta be playing your best at the right time, regardless of what your season-long rating is and whatever variables that you put out there. Loud Noises wants to know. Well, first, Austin, do you know what that's from? Uh, no, I don't. Anchorman, oh, come on. Come on, come on AP. Well, now that you say it, yes, but I just didn't, it didn't resonate. Loud Noises wants to know, who are you taking, the Vols or the field for these prospects? So we'll kind of go rapid fire here. Oh, here we go, AP, your favorite. So the Vols or the field? Seton. Oh, oh, a hard one out of the gate, AP. Are you going to abstain? Are you going to pass? You no, know, I mean, like, to be honest with you, like, well, I mean, here's the thing. Like, it's only going to – listen, it's easier just to say the field because if I say the Vols and – it changes between now and signing day, then the scooter man's going to tell me how terrible <laughs> I am in my job. <laughs> so you're saying the balls, right? Um, but right now, as if we said here on, was it the 25th uh, of October? 
I would take the Vols over the field for Jordan Seaton. Mark it down. Headline. Print DC, the papers. Can, can you All get right. the, can you, can you make sure we you get the, the 50 cent gift over top of if this? If we were going percentages, my percentage would be about 55%. So just above 50. Well, here's the thing you got to remember. It doesn't count if Max in a wink is not on screen, and we're not seeing that. So he, he's not declaring anything. That was the uh, James Pierce. James Pierce had it signed was. early, and nobody knew it but me. All right, let's go to a couple other ones here. Uh, Daniel Hill. Uh, I would not take the balls. Cam Michael. Uh, I don't think it's a lock that he goes to Georgia, but I, I don't feel good enough about it that I take the balls right now. All right, then he goes on and says, in your opinion, do you think that Tennessee at least gets a visit from these flip candidates? So just to get a visit. Okay. Uh, Bates. Yes. Malablanc. Uh, Max LeBlanc. Um, yes. Not uh, the guy. Marius Williams. Tied in. Not Joey. Not Joey Tribbiani. Oh, did I say? Did I say Max? <laughs> <laughs> Max LeBlanc. Uh, Williams. Marius Williams. Uh, that's a coin flip for me, man. I, I, I maybe. There's one more, I think. Right. Under four names. Yeah, Smith. Smith. What's Smith? Oh, M. No, Smith. The. the no, uh, the uh, the tight end. Um, the tight end. Berklinger's teammate. <sighs> you know, South Carolina. I'm going to say yes, but that's very, very uh, not a lot of confidence in the yes. If he if he makes it here, though, I think game on. Let's stay on recruiting here before we hit to the the back half of the questions. Um, since Heupel arrived, in terms of offensive line recruiting, what needs to happen to improve this area? Cast a wider net better evaluations, development of those you do get. How was Coach Ellerby thought around the league? Good teacher, good developer. Kids seem to like him. Recruiting to the scheme, is that an issue? Essentially, Brent, offensive line, how do you fix that in terms of recruiting? Well, Georgia came after him to be their offensive line coach, so that tells you what the league thinks of him, or at least some people in this league think of him because they had real interest in him being the line coach. I think he's a good teacher. Um, I I think that – he develops well in this scheme for guys. Uh, I don't, I think he's a super nice guy, Austin, but I don't think he's a dynamic personality. I mean, he's not, he's not the guy that there's going to be the life of a get of a social gathering. I mean, that's just no. not his personality and not his style. Well, he's not Sam Pittman. He's not doing the yes, sir videos and all that. Like that's never going to be him. never. Yeah. And it's not most offensive line coaches that, you know, um, but I think, you know, Again, I think once you just got to get him here because once, you know, you can get him here, he is a good teacher. He is a good developer. And honestly, the kids that play for him love him. I'll never forget, like, Cade and Cooper both hit me up when when Glenn first got here. And they're like, dude, he is grading our workouts. Like, this is, you know, I mean, blasphemy, you know, like, you know. And then, like, now, like, I mean, Cade – would swear by Glenn Ellerby and Cooper the same thing. And like the first two weeks, they were like, I don't know about this guy, da 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 da. But like once you start like getting in the room with him, the kids love him. I think it's more just like recruits want all this hot sauce and and stuff and certain uh level of like engagement. And I'm not sure that's his personality. And like, I will say this that's not the personality of most every offensive line coach around. Right, again, Sam Pittman is the exception. Absolutely. 
you know, I mean, I've seen a bunch of them come through here. Rob, you've seen a bunch of them come through here. I mean, life of the party, none of them are, are I mean, personality wise, that's just not their style. That That's well, not, I mean, Philip was a good recruiter as an offensive line coach. That was an exception to the rule back when he was an assistant, but um, yeah, I mean, that's just not the nature of offensive line coaches. We got plenty more questions to get into, and we will do that here in just a moment. But first, let's get a word from our proud sponsors. That is Exterior Home Solutions. Hey, Sevierville in Morristown, I want to make sure that you're getting the highest quality when it comes to your exterior home renovations. Exterior Home Solutions is your local and number one choice for roofing, siding, windows, and a whole lot more. From free estimates to financing options and low monthly payments, give Exterior Home Solutions a call at 865-524-5888. Use who I trust, Exterior Home Solutions. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. As always, a big thank you to our friends Exterior Home Solutions for making this coverage possible. We got plenty more questions and let's start off with a good one here. Nashville 615. Anybody that wants to answer this, jump right ahead. Compare Trevor Lawrence and Kelly Bryant's situation to Joe Milton and Nico. Both five-star number one quarterback prospects. Trevor was able to take over the job, led them to a championship. Seems like a lot less pressure for Nico to get Tennessee to nine and three. Well, here's what I know about that situation. Clemson had, you know, Justin Ross and T. Higgins and Etienne. And they had some toys. That. He had some toys. Like, was Amari Rogers on that team, or is he already gone? Amari Rogers was on that team. Flipping over Dexter Lawrence. Yeah, was... I mean, like there was just a lot more around him, so it was easier to be a little more conservative. And again, they got more, they got a lot more flamboyant with the play calls, you know, once they got going. Um, but you know, for me, like you know, it, it was just a, a different situation. I get the comparison a little bit, but I wouldn't call it apples to apples. They also played in the ACC. There you go. I mean, like, let's face it, okay? If Tennessee loses this weekend at Kentucky, could they potentially make a move? I would say yes. But if Tennessee wins this weekend, they're going to be 7-2 and two going to Missouri. Nico's not starting that game. They're not starting him against Georgia the week after. And at that point, Joe's going to finish it out and ride it out to the house with, with the Vanderbilt game. So – if the only way I think Nico is is getting a shot here to be the starter and they and they make a change is if Tennessee loses at Kentucky. And let's be clear that, that that's no still that. how and why does I mean it's not just you know if your defense is disastrous then I mean it, it's 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 you know how how Joe plays Joe played well enough in the first half last week that there's not a problem I mean Joe's not the problem. Joe was not the problem last week. So, I mean, it, it also depends on – or even win or lose, it depends on how he plays, Rob. And also, I mean, correct me. I may not be re- remembering this right, but I think I am. I mean, Trevor Lawrence pretty much played in every game. I mean, they had a plan to get him, you know, a series not, – not in a quarter or whatever, you know, a series or two here or there. I mean, we've not seen Nico in over a month 
I mean, he's, Which he's goes back to what Hub said, Rob. They play in the ACC. So when you're playing that trash schedule, yeah. you can get him in in every game. Yeah, but I mean, I, I go back to what Brent says. Even if, say, Tennessee were to drop that game at Kentucky this weekend, but Bilton yeah, goes out there and well. yeah. plays well, Correct. I mean, a move's not happening there either. And even if he plays poorly, a move might not be happening. It's just, I get what you're saying, hypotheticals. Balls by 50 wants to know any concern from you guys with fourth down coaching decisions the past two games. Got away with it at home, but going forward at midfield up 20 to 17 in the third quarter. Not the smartest decision. Is the coaching staff having questionable moments on game day or Brent? Is it just a lack of execution? Well, the, co- the coaches are going to tell you it's a lack of execution because it's a play that they believed in when they called it. Now, when you're one for six in that scenario th- this season, I would contend you're just not very good in that scenario. Um, and, you, you know, that's not your strength. Um, the Philadelphia Eagles can go forward anywhere on the football field in that situation because they're the best in football at doing it. When you're not very good at it, then I think you have to adjust, you know, your thought process. Um, Rob talked about this in his 3-2-1. The decision to go for it there to try to get momentum back, not necessarily the wrong decision. It looks wrong because you didn't make it. My issue is – how are you going about trying to make those first downs there and crowding the box and, and loading it up and trying to run out a bunch of people to me is not the strength of where this offense is. And they're obviously not very good in that scenario. So I, I do think you have to, and I wrote this last week. I think, I think you have to coach games differently when you're not scoring 48 points a game. And that's, that's this offense. They're not going to win. They're not playing in a bunch of shootout games. The game's, the game is going to be different. It's going to be a lower scoring affair, and you, you have to adjust accordingly to that. We'll go to see Dizzle 85, a little fall ball question. Um, what freshman baseball newcomer impressed the most on Sunday? Um, I mean, there were a lot of freshman pitchers that threw, um, you know, and you just get an inning. So, like, there's not a whole lot of takeaways there. Um, I, I think Stone Lawless is going to be a player. I'm not saying this year. I mean, Tennessee's pretty crowded at the catcher position, but – I mean, you're six foot three, you know, well over 200 pounds. I mean, that guy's, he's, he's pretty much a unit, right? And and he can hit and he, he looks good behind the plate. So I think Stone Lawless is a guy to watch out for. If you're talking newcomer overall, I mean, Billy Amick, arguably the best player on this team. He had a great day Sunday. Alex Perry from junior college had a really strong game uh, Sunday in that 18 inning affair. He didn't play all 18 innings, of course. Um, look for, a, you know, he's a guy that can, you know, maybe start for you depending on where Christian Moore plays shortstop or second base he's a middle infield guy of course Brad Key Lowry and and, and um, Ariel Antigua a freshman Lowry a Juco guy yeah, those guys are in contention there newcomer overall Amick was really good Alex Perry was good freshman's I've been freshman I've been impressed with has been Stone Lawless and Ariel Antigua uh, so far let's go to more on Sam Smith, 33. Three offensive touchdowns in the past two games. Do you see Tennessee try to break out some trick plays, Rob, to try to scrape together some points at the beautiful Kroger Field? I, I mean, I don't think they'll reach deep in the bag. I mean, I could see I mean, Josh you know, certainly is not adverse to, to doing something here and there. But, man, I, I would be tempted. However, what, what, what's the stat? Three offensive touchdowns in the last last two games. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's if if I was gonna if, if there's a time to dial dial one up, I, I would think this that would be this weekend. I don't know what you're saving it for. Well, you better have you better have some better stuff in the red zone. Is is what you got to have because I don't think you're gonna do to Kentucky what you've done to them the last two years, and that's big play them to death because it's not who you are offensively. So you better you better if you're gonna pull out a trick or pull out a wrinkle or whatever, 
the wrinkle better come in the red zone so you can finish drives because Tennessee's getting up and down the field okay. They're just not finishing in the red zone. And, of course, they don't have the big splash, you know, 70-yard touchdown passes. I don't know that those are suddenly going to come out. So you're going to have to finish drives in the red zone. And to do that, you're going to have to have some wrinkles because you're not lining it up and doing your traditional stuff in the red zone and and having success right now. Well, I don't know why not, Romy. We're not allowed to shoot in practice, so nobody's seen it. (laughs) Southerner 98, with sign stealing being a hot topic around college football right now, why doesn't the NCAA allow in-helmet speakers like the NFL does to help solve this issue? I'd say that's coming. I, I would agree with that. The, the poster says even high school, high some high schools use in helmet transmitters. I also not at least in Tennessee that is not the case. Maybe around the country, but have you seen that at the high school level? No, but I mean I, I'm sure in like Texas or someplace Maybe. like that yeah. where you know where high school football is king. I mean I could see that. I mean why not? I mean you see more and more teams. You know you have some teams that you know that they're, they're doing the old school whole film from, you know, 14, you know, stories up on the press box and it's wide as can be. And they look like ants out there and other teams are flying the drones because they've got two or three now and they're flying them right above the head. And, 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 you know, huddle film looks so vastly different. So. AP, do you know how I know that's that they don't do that in the state of Tennessee with the helmets? Cause Mark Packer doesn't have a commercial promoting anybody's technology to, <laughs> to do that. They, um, I, I think you're going to see that, Teams are going to be allowed to experiment that in bowl games this year. Power five teams are. Um, here's the interesting thing about that, that I've never asked Josh Heupel this, this question. Um, do fast-paced, no-huddle teams, would they like that or would they not like that? And the reason I ask that is right now all 11 are getting the signal at the same time. If you're relaying it into the headset of the quarterback, then the quarterback has to relay it to his teammates on the field. Can you go as fast with an in-helmet? Because not all 11 guys are going to have in-helmet buds. Can you go as fast if you have a second layer of communication going on there? Maybe you can, um, but well, that, that on a no-huddle team, if you're going to that, it's going to put more on the quarterback to communicate in a hurry to the rest of his teammates, right? Okay. Yeah. Nobody. Yeah, I mean, I, I, no, I, mean, I think we, well. I think we all agree with you, Ever. That's why nobody had a character for it. <laughs> Sorry, I was looking at the next question, kind of getting ready, but okay. this is not the time or place. Thirty-four minutes into this podcast, but like sign stealing. <laughs> I mean, as far as on the field, as far as watching it on tape, I mean, it's happened for seventy-five years, guys. Now, when you buy tickets and go to the extra, extra magnitude, there, maybe, maybe that's that's crossing the line, but it maybe. is definitely a hot topic right now. Yeah. What, what are you, what are you filming? I mean, I'm filming Rob. He's filming the signals in this podcast, so we'll know what we're doing next. I I mean, I mean, I think it's a huge topic, and I mean, to go to the links and I mean, to send Michigan people all over the country. um, Yeah, I mean that that's that's crossing that's crossing the lines. I mean, it's you know, it's not the same as somebody in a box live during a game while you're playing them trying to figure out something, which happens all the time. This is a calculating effort to go out and scout everybody and then present a laminated card during the week. Hey, and film when can. Right. You know, so I, I just, I think it's a huge ethical issue. And, and, and again, like you can pick up a lot of this stuff on tape if you just have a normal game tape. And of course there's, there's guys dedicated to, to looking at that around college football. I don't, it's just, it's happened for a while, but you're right. Paying and, and sending scouts, if you will, out there. I mean, that's, whew. Picking something up on tape 
about a signal or trying to pick something out of the press box on game day is one thing. There's some, I guess, gamesmanship or whatever there. It's a total different thing when you're sending someone thousands of miles to sit in the stands to not watch the game, but to video the signal and then video the scoreboard, screenshot the scoreboard, so that you can go back and pick the tape and match the two together to determine when they go this, that, and this, that means they're running this play. So when we see that signal, we're going to tell our players, sweep's coming. Okay, it's a, it's a sweep to the right. Play, play sweep right. That's a whole different level of, of deciphering things, in my opinion. Let's go to iHeart Vols. Do you believe Thornton, Dante Thornton, is the most physically gifted receiver the Vols have had, um, the Vols have right now? And if so, don't the coaches eventually just have to throw him out there and hope the light comes on? Or, or, or Rob, I mean, Thornton's yeah. had his chances. Thornton's had plenty of chances so far this year. I would say that as far as physically gifted, I would say yes, he is, but it just it hadn't materialized so far. Yeah, after – and no, it's, you don't just, just throw a guy out there and hope the light comes on in the SEC. Uh, at any position, and and no, I would say, I mean, that, over halfway through the season, and, and he drops that one on the five yard line at Alabama last week. I I've probably seen enough. I, I'm probably I'm going to, I'm probably going in the other direction from what the what you know what the the, the guy asking the question is is going. But AP, he's still going to get a couple of snaps a game just because you're so thin. Yeah, I mean, you are extremely thin, and he and he, and he should get a couple just because Tennessee. It's not like anybody else is setting the world on fire. It's not like Webb and Nimrod are out there catching. 10 or 15 balls. Um, I, I, you know, I'm, a, I'm more in line with hubs than Rob. Not that I just totally disagree with Rob. Like, cause I mean, he's been not that impressive and he's had drops and stuff, but I, I kind of like the line of hubs thinking about using him in the Javante Payton role, you know, let him run, go out there and do two or three things. And, you know, if they bust, then it's a big play. And you know, so let's let history repeat itself. Play number one in Lexington, Kentucky here on a Saturday night. Let's put him out wide left. Say hut, let him just run down the field, throw him the football, see what happens, see if he catches it. If he does, scores a touchdown, great. Put him out there for the next three quarters and and you know and a half, and just don't even look his way. <laughs> I mean, I I think at this point, if you're looking at him, you, yeah. you're gonna you, 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 call that play. Okay. <laughs> I I would say playing play him out wide, take him out of the slot. I, it's clear he's not comfortable in the slot, right? I mean, it's. The ball's getting on him in the pads. I don't think he likes the traffic in there. The guy had six catches of over 25 yards a year ago at Oregon in limited playing time, out wide at wide receiver. I understand you thought he would be a slot, the perfect slot marriage for you. I don't think slot's for him. Let's put him out wide and see what he does out wide. Maybe he can be more effective out there with fewer routes, with less traffic around him, and, and just let his athletic ability and his speed take off vertically down the field as opposed to what you're trying to do. He just doesn't look – there's nothing about his game looks comfortable in the middle of the football field. He doesn't Agreed. catch it with his hands in the middle. It doesn't seem like the con- – it seems like he's looking for contact, worried about where that's coming from. I'm not saying he's scared. I'm saying he's not comfortable in the middle of the football field. The best plays made all year, Hubbard, the catch at Florida, which was down the seam, but it was just a straight go route and, and made a phenomenal catch on a great throw by Joe. But, again, that's just a straight vertical route. I mean, like that, I thought that was the best play he's made all year. Last question. We will end on this one. Anon, 17 numbers that I'm not going to say right here. Uh, Nick Saban seemed to be ecstatic to get a win over Tennessee. 
I don't remember a clip of him celebrating like that in years past. I, I got in his way in the state troopers way when they were making their way, you know, down the field after the game, he went around, he waved to the crowd in the student section. So that is accurate. Uh, could it be that other coaches recognize the, uh, you know, what Tennessee can be in a couple of years, realize Heibel's relatively young head coach and is still a little wet behind the ears, but once he settles in could be dangerous for years to come. Question essentially, Saban looked like he was pumped to beat Tennessee. Brent Hubbs, is that just simply pumped to get a win? Pumped to get a win after a team that beat you last year? I mean, you know, was a win at home, a comeback win? I mean, there's a lot of factors there. Well, I mean, he did something in the second half that he has not been able to do against Tennessee in previous matchups. He's, he's slowed the offense down. You go back to year one in Tuscaloosa, it wasn't the offense that called. I mean, Tennessee couldn't get off the field defensively. But, I mean, that game's a game going into the fourth – one-score game going into the fourth quarter with a pretty under undermanned Tennessee team in year one. And then we know what he did to him in year two. Uh, so, for him to for them to pitch a shutout in the second half as a defensive guy against that offense, Rob Lewis, I, I'm sure he was elated. And this is not his best team. He knows this is not his best team. They're having to fight harder to get wins. Um, I think this offense worries him. I think he was worried about it going in. I think in the first quarter, he was probably really worried about where it was. And then in the second half, they made adjustments and, and they stymied Tennessee and, and pitched a shutout. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's why he was excited because he, he stopped, slowed this offense down for the first time. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, just my two cents. I didn't think it was about Tennessee at all. I thought it was a lot about what Brent's talking about. They're sitting his, great, his best team, but you see him in, in press conferences this year. He seems kind of lighthearted and, you know, kind of joking about, you know, they're taking years off my life and, and you know, this, that, and the other. So I think it was all about playing terrible in the first half, being down 20 to seven and, you know, getting his kids to rally in the second half. Yeah, I think it was about the come from behind win and again, shutting Tennessee out in the second half and win a big game at home. That will do it here for this edition of the Exterior Home Solutions VolQuest Mailbag Podcast, Tennessee, Kentucky. That's Saturday night. We'll continue on here on a Thursday. Rob's got his matchup piece, got Ball with the Beast podcast. I uh, got a whole lot more coming up this week, plus the staff picks, 10 things I think, I think. All that heading into the matchup with Tennessee and Kentucky. You can find that at VolQuest.com. As always, big thank you to Exterior Home Solutions for making this coverage possible. If you need roofing, siding, windows, or garage, contact your local and trusted source. That is Exterior Home Solutions, 865-524-5888 or ExteriorHomeSolutions.com. For Awesome Price, Rob Lewis, Brent Hubbs, I am Eric Kane. Appreciate you guys for being here and listening to us. The Ball Quest Mailback Podcast. You've been listening to the Ball Quest Mailbag Podcast every week, right here on Ball Quest.